What I'm not going to do this morning, I opened last week by joking about how long I was going to go, and then I went long. I'm not doing that again, so I'm going to repent. Um, uh, speaking of going long, um, I don't, I no longer am certain that I'm going to get through Galatians by the end of this month. Okay. That's just honest confession there. That was, it was a, a valiant attempt, but when I made it through seven verses in preparation for this, I thought that's probably not going to happen. Uh, that's okay. I'll finish it some of the time. Shane is on this, like, uh, He's going to preach the book of Acts before he dies, kind of thing, like one-offs here and there, or like right now he'll do a month at a time. And maybe I'll do that with Galatians, I don't know. Um, okay, let me read our text this morning, uh, and then we will, we will get in. Uh, Galatians 2, 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So last week, uh, we noted that Galatians is Paul's first and angriest letter. <clears throat> and his anger shouldn't be chalked up to immaturity in Paul because of his relative youth with this being his first letter. Now, Paul's not angry because he hasn't had time to mellow out in his old age. Uh, He's angry because the Galatians are buying a man-centered, works-based gospel of earning that's being sold to them by Judaizers, a group of legalists masquerading as Christians. So Paul writes Galatians to expose the false teachers and call the Galatians back to the gospel. And he does this in two ways, by defending his apostleship, that's what we talked about last week. That's chapter 1, uh, one through 2.14. And then um, by uh, a defense of the gospel itself, which we will get into this morning. As Paul defends his apostolic authority, um, uh, he calls out the folly of the Judaizers. Uh, to undermine Paul's gospel, the Judaizers first needed to undermine Paul's authority. That's the starting point of every false gospel. To distort the gospel, you have to first undermine biblical authority. And contrary to the perspectives of Mormons, word of faith preachers, social gospel preachers, Roman Catholics, and Judaizers, the Bible is the final authority. And Paul spends the opening chapter in two-thirds of Galatians arguing that point. Why? Because when you get biblical authority wrong, you get the gospel wrong. 
Um, and that's what the Judaizers did. And they didn't just deceive the Galatians, by the way. For a moment, as we'll see in a second, they even deceived Peter. And Paul's transition from defending his apostleship to defending the gospel centers on that event. So let's look back up at verse 11. It says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? In Antioch, there was this fellowship meal that was happening. And around the table were Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, among whom were Peter, Barnabas, and apparently Paul. But when some Judaizers showed up, seemingly uninvited, I hate when that happens, uh, Peter drew back from the Gentiles because they weren't circumcised according to the law. And in doing so, he undermined the gospel and led others to do the same. He communicated to those gathered that faith in Jesus isn't enough. Trusting Jesus is not sufficient. To be justified, you also need to be circumcised. You need to keep the law You need to, in essence, become Jewish. But in verse 15, uh, Paul begins uh, his corrective. Now, in these verses, uh, really from uh, 2.15 through 3.11, he's going to use some form of the word justification six times, uh, but three of them are found in verse 16. So what is justification? It's a legal term. Uh, And in Scripture, uh, justification is to be declared not guilty in God's court of law. It's to be declared not guilty in God's court of law. It's a declarative act. Now, catch the beauty of this clarification here by Martin Luther. A Christian is not someone who has no sin or who feels sinless. He is someone whom God does not blame for his sin Because he's put his trust in Christ. Isn't that great? It's not somebody who's sinless or even feels that way. It's somebody whose sin is not counted against them by God because of Jesus. Now, in verse 15, uh, Paul makes this little shift here from I to we. Um, Throughout the first part of the book, he's only made I statements. Everything's first person singular. But in verse 15, he shifts to a first-person plural. It's, it's, it's we now. Um, and he makes that shift to include Peter, who wasn't and certainly wouldn't have felt sinless. He publicly denied Jesus three times on the night of his crucifixion. And years later, while eating dinner in Antioch, he did it again and then led others to do the same. But God had mercy on Peter yet again, didn't he? And there's hope in that. There is hope in that. We continue to struggle with sin, and God continues to show mercy to us. Though Paul doesn't say it expressly, his switch from I to we 
implies that Peter's implies what Peter's own letter makes crystal clear. Uh, Peter repented. Of course, Peter's repentance does demonstrate Paul's authority as an apostle, which is part of where Paul was coming from. But it also demonstrates God's grace to his people. And that's sweet to see. So in verse 16, that's why it's not I, Paul, but it's we, Paul and Peter, who know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, in Antioch, Peter said, in essence, that only those who believe in Jesus and obey the law will be justified. It's as though Peter said, I mean, yeah, we need Jesus' righteousness and all that, but we also need to bring some of our own. We need to help him out a little bit. We've got to bring our stuff to the table. It wasn't faith alone. It was faith plus works. It's as though Peter said, to be saved, you need to trust Jesus and practice Judaism. You need to trust Jesus and keep the Ten Commandments. You need faith and works to be saved. Are you tempted to believe that lie? If I asked you if you're a Christian, would you say something like, I'm trying. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard stuff like that. I'm trying. There is no trying. That's works, right? Like that implies that we're going to earn something from God. We don't earn anything from God. If we were to get from God what we earn, we would all be in hell right now. I don't want to earn. God, please don't give me what I've earned. I do not want that. Get me way, way, way away from that. Um, And yet that's tempting. It's tempting to confuse the role of works in the Christian life. Very tempting. It's tempting to think that, that our obedience is earning something from God. And if we're believing in Jesus and jumping through the right hoops, doing the right stuff, that, that'll make God accept us. And that is not the gospel at all. And Paul's going to get to some of that in just a second. Um, we know better than to say out loud stuff like, well, I'm trying. Like most of us know better than that. Um, I just wonder if, We believe that. Um, If we think that way, if you think that way, listen to this. You are, and I quote, justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. You know why? Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Nobody. Zero human beings are going to be justified by works of the law. The good news, the gospel, is that your justification, your not guilty verdict in God's courtroom, is a gift of God's grace that comes only through faith in Jesus. That's it. But that invites some questions. And in the case of the Judaizers, it's more like objections. And the Judaizers' objection that we find implied in 17 through 20 
um, goes something like this. Okay, Paul. So even though we keep the law, we Jews are no better off than Gentiles, right? And that's because we're all sinners who are justified only by faith in Jesus. So we're not justified by observing the law, right? Okay. So if obeying the law gets you nowhere with Jesus, doesn't that suggest that Jesus promotes sin? I mean, doesn't that take away the motivation to live a righteous life? To Paul, or to that, Paul says, certainly not. Certainly not. And he gives two supporting arguments. In verse 18, we find that Jesus doesn't promote sin, but Judaizers do. Now listen to this. The law was given to point us to our need for Jesus, right? Like that's why the law exists. So if I go back to observe the law, what am I doing? I'm transgressing the very purpose of the law. Why did God give it? What's the purpose of the law? To show me that I do not, cannot, and will not measure up. And to point me to salvation through faith in the one who does. So if I rely on my works, I violate the law. But Paul's not done. His second argument is this. Jesus doesn't promote sin. He killed it. Those who are in Christ are dead to the law and alive to God. Verses 19 and 20, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We were crucified with Christ. When Jesus died, we died to sin and to ourselves. See, at the cross, Jesus didn't just secure our justification. He ensured our sanctification, our our growth in Christ-likeness. He paid for it all. He bought it all. So far from promoting sin, Jesus killed it. We're dead to sin and alive in Christ. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We are enslaved to righteousness. And again, as Peter's life displays, our death to sin does not mean that we won't continue struggling against it. But it does mean that sin is no longer the controlling factor in our lives. Sin is no longer our master. Christ is. In verse 21, Paul wraps up this section with this implicit command not to nullify, not to reject the grace of God. Paul drops this chilling comment in verse 21 that really cuts to the heart of the matter. As I was preparing for this, I I felt uncomfortable saying out loud, because I did, I said this out loud. I felt uncomfortable saying out loud, or implying even, that, that Christ may have died for no purpose. Like that just, 
That's a horrible thought. Um, it's a disgusting thought. Uh, a terrifying thought, really. And Paul knows that. And so um, he writes to the Galatians and he makes this comment that would have been very arresting to them. These were people that even though they were embracing a Christ plus or a, a faith plus works kind of gospel, they were still claiming to trust Jesus. Like Jesus still meant something to them in some way. And so the suggestion to them that he died for no purpose would have been arresting. Like, oh my goodness, is this belief that I've embraced from the Judaizers literally suggesting that when Jesus Christ came into the world, he died for nothing? Was he an idiot? Was he a false Messiah? Was Jesus a crazy person? Was he just some guy? I mean, if we were well on our way to heaven without him, then his death wasn't necessary, which begs the question, like, what was he thinking? Why was he even here? See, if I, if my justification is by works, then I nullify or I reject. That's what that word means. I reject the grace of God. Why? Because I don't need grace from God. If I'm getting in by my works, I don't need any grace from God. But even the quickest look at my life reveals that I need literally immeasurable grace from God. That's what I need. I have to have that. If I don't have God's grace, there is a 0% chance you will see me in heaven. And there's a 0% chance you will see you in heaven either. No one's getting in. The only way any of us get into right relationship with God is through faith alone in Jesus by the grace of God. To conclude this morning, I am delivering on my promise, by the way, that I'm not going long. I'm going to make up for it this morning. Um, To conclude, um, I'm just going to read the words of a song that I think nails it. Um, Thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song. His mercy is the theme of our song. The joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue. Thy free grace alone, from the first to the last, from the beginning to the end, hath won my affections and bound my soul fast. It's God's grace. It's His mercy to us in Jesus. That's what secures us. Without Thy sweet mercy, I could not live here. Sin would reduce me to utter despair. But through Thy free goodness, my spirits revive. And He that first made me still keeps me alive. Thy mercy is more than a match for my heart, which wonders to feel its own hardness depart. Dissolved by Thy goodness, I fall to the ground and weep for the praise of the mercy I've found. Great Father of mercies, Thy goodness I own. And the covenant love 
of thy crucified son. Did you hear that? Great father of mercies, thy goodness I own. It belongs to me, not because of my earning, but because of God's grace. I get God's goodness. We get God's goodness and nothing but that. His goodness, his grace are these settled dispositions of God toward his people. I get God's goodness, which would have, by the way, that would have been foreign to us. That would have been, we would have had no part in God's goodness. We would have gotten God's judgment. But it's God's goodness that I own and the covenant love of thy crucified son. All praise to the Spirit, whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness mine. All praise to the Spirit, whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness mine. If salvation is really, if justification is really by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then we can sing this song with total joy and confidence. And it's a beautiful thing. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you've made a way for sinners to be counted or declared righteous. Not guilty. Lord, I can think back on things that I've thought or done in the last 24 hours that make that feel miraculous. God, you are not counting our sins against us. And it's not because of our earning. It's not because you were so impressed with us and you took note of the things that we've done. You thought, man, I better scoop these people up. I'll be getting a great deal with them. It was nothing of the sort. Or our, our sins are not counted against us. We are declared righteous by faith in Christ. It's what he did for us. His life and His death in our place secures our justification. God, we praise You for that. Lord, help us to enjoy that, to marvel at that, to worship You for that. God, Your grace really is amazing. Yeah, we read a story about Peter sinning. Yeah, but when I read that, I go, yeah, part of me feels like I've done way worse than that. And yet your grace is sufficient for us all. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that his blood has been applied to us and that we are righteous through faith in Christ alone. In his name, amen.